Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and today we're going to be doing the podcast in a different format, and really going forward into the future, we're going to be doing it in a different format. Not too big of a change, but before what we did was do some updates about the course, then we went into the actor set and prop suggestions that came in during the week, which is to say the people locations and objects that people think are good representations of pinyin initials, pinyin finals, and character components respectively. And while these suggestions are definitely useful for the people in the course and the people who submitted the suggestions want a response from us, it's not exactly the most thrilling part of the podcast. So we're actually going to put that at the end. So if you have a particular uh, actor set or prop that you suggested and you were hoping to hear about our response from that, you can check that out towards the end of the podcast. We're also going to not be focusing as much on actor sets and props from the first 105 characters because we have so many suggestions already there that we're largely repeating ourselves at this point. So again, we don't want to be boring. We want to make sure that the podcast maintains its value. And so we're going to put actors and sets and props at the end of each podcast. And then we're also going to put a little bit less emphasis in the first 105. So if you left us a comment in the first 105 characters about an actor set or prop, uh, it may be useful to the people uh, who are going through the course and look at the comment section, but we may not respond to it in the podcast just because we've had so many suggestions that it's getting a little bit repetitive. Now, uh, next, we're going to start the podcast instead with the miscellaneous questions that came in that are a bit more either philosophical in nature or have a more technical question about the course because that can uh, be a trigger to talking about more interesting topics that kind of get people more excited and we can get into sort of general learning uh, as it comes to the Mandarin language and get those more interesting topics uh, right at the front of the podcast. So we'll talk about those first, then talk about updates to the course, then talk about full mnemonic scenes, because those can be quite interesting. Uh, and again, emphasis on those that come after character 105 in the course. And uh, then we'll do the actor sets and props at the end. So small change there, but just thought I would mention that, that we're going to be focusing the podcast in that particular order moving forward. So some questions that came up this week that are a bit more uh, you know, miscellaneous. So David Chang on compound final yao, which is in the pronunciation mastery course. We have a yao and bu yao in this lesson. And one of the points in the lesson that we talked about was how if you wanted to translate directly the World War II American Uncle Sam I Want You poster, it would be wo yao ni. So I want you. It's a literal, uh, direct translation. Uh, and David said, my wife was laughing while I was practicing 我要你, because apparently 要 has a sexual slash erotic connotation when used in this way. And I would say, yes, it does. It can have that connotation. It doesn't have to, because, you know, saying 我要你 by itself, like if you just like looked at your wife and said, well, Yaoni, sure, that could have a sexual or erotic connotation. She's your wife after all. Um, so it makes sense. But there's context that you could put on either side of that statement that would make it uh, potentially not sexual or erotic. So it's not like a guarantee. It's not like saying, well, Yaoni is 100 uh, percent sexual or erotic. Uh, you could add something after. Um, 我要你去超市买菜 would mean I want you to go to the supermarket to buy some uh, vegetables or buy some um, just some food for, for later. And if you said that, it's not like there's no sexual connotation because you're adding more context. And if there were sentences on either side of it or a dialogue, then there also might be context that makes it non-sexual. So uh, just thought I'd mention that. But that's exactly why 
getting really good at grammar is something that requires larger context, which is exactly why the Mandarin Blueprint method starts really small, uh, especially in the um, – there's the Pronunciation Mastery course, which is about you know articulating and producing the sounds correctly. But then there's the Mandarin Blueprint method course where we start off very small, single-character components, and we expand all the way out into full-length stories with several paragraphs because – that extra context is exactly the type of thing that will help you realize, hey, does this have a, a specific connotation that is different depending on the context? Well, a sentence by itself, you can't really know. But a sentence amongst several paragraphs, you'll understand the context pretty easily. Which actually relates to the next question by Evelyn Rydell. This is also from the Renunciation Mastery course. She says, uh, on the nasal final, ang ta zai bang ta. That's the um, main sentence. And we also have ta zai chi fan. We made a little tangent in this video to talk about how zai can mean something happen, happening in the present. So ta zai chi fan means he's eating right now. And so apparently in English, this is called the present progressive tense, which I never knew before because I, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of like studying English grammar rules because I can already use English grammar without ever having to study the rules. So I've never looked into that. Uh, and even Chinese rules, I'm kind of, I'm more aware of them, but I also uh, try not to focus too much on them because they're not how you actually use grammar. They're just a way of understanding about the language, but they're not using the language. But anyway, I'll get, let me get to Evelyn's question. She says, so, zai indicates the present progressive tense. Is there a way in Chinese to express the emphatic present tense, as in, I do practice every day, or will that be presented later in the course? So, you know, it's funny. In a way, it will be presented later in the course because the way you actually acquire grammar is to see sentences in context and then have an emotional connection to the story enough so that when you're in that same emotional context or uh, language context, you'll use the language that you've already passively picked up on by reading or listening because that's the actual process of acquiring grammar. Acquiring grammar requires lots of passive input. Well, I mean, I should say building up passive vocabulary through input, which is listening and reading. To And if you understand what you're listening and reading to, then that will build up your passive vocabulary. To activate that vocabulary, you then speak or write, and then you can use it in day-to-day -day life. There's no part of that process that involves learning a grammar rule. Learning a grammar rule is an ex post facto uh, sort of interesting thing to do, and many people like to do, uh, but it's actually not a necessary step towards acquiring language. It's um, a thing that linguists like to do because they want to analyze, hey, are there common grammars across different languages and things of that nature? You know, Chinese grammar as a concept has only been studied for about 100 years. And of course, people have been speaking Chinese way longer than that, which is all the evidence you need to know that you don't have to learn grammar rules in order to acquire grammar and activate the use of grammar day to day. It's something our brain can naturally do. Our brains are... Pat language pattern recognition machines. We've evolved to be able to do that. So it's not actually necessary to do that. So the answer is, yes, it will come up. I don't exactly know where because I didn't analyze it in that way. But certainly the idea of saying I do practice every day is easy enough to express in Chinese. I've just never thought of it as the emphatic present tense. I just read a lot. And then now I would probably say something like, 我确实, 确实, that means like, do indeed, right? 
我确实每天都练习 every day, all practice. So that's how you would say that in Chinese. I didn't have to learn the emphatic present tense to do that,、um, but I do know how to say that. So it's like you know, it, the answer is yes. It will be covered because that, it, but it'll be covered in a way that actually. Helps you acquire the language and know how to say it, as opposed to just thinking about a rule and then regurgitating the rule. Learning a grammar rule helps you with explaining the grammar rule. It does not help you that much. It can help a little bit, maybe, but it doesn't help that much with actually using it in day to day life. Okay, cool. So Evelyn had another、um, response in a in a thread、uh, that we had been talking about in Simple Final A Introduction,、uh, which is very early in the course. Ba ta and Mama, Baba. So this is very early in the course.、Uh, she must have been going back and forth with Luke, I imagine. She says, "Thank you for this. Sorry, I didn't reply sooner. This was helpful. I have a different background than most when it comes to vocalization. I studied linguistics and was a dialect coach at one point. Yeah, sure. And by the way, that's why you like to analyze deeply. How can you use this, and where can you use this? Because you're Your profession has caused you to take an analytical lens when looking at the language. But interestingly enough, despite that,、uh, you know, very admirable type of way of looking at a language, it's actually not necessary、uh, day to day. But anyway, continuing with the question, I realize now that a people who speak Chinese are going to differ slightly and sometimes more than slightly in their pronunciation. That's true. And b. That I need to relax a bit. Sure, I realize that the point of learning Chinese is to be able to understand. So a perfect access, while attainable, is not necessary. I think of all the people I encounter in a typical day for whom English is not their first language. They may not speak English perfectly, but they are able to be understood. That should be my goal. Well, well thought through, Evelyn. I completely agree.、Um, it is essential to not. Let the perfect be the enemy of the good.、Uh, that is to say, if you're understood, you succeeded. That's the point of language, anyway. We're trying to communicate an idea through sounds that travel through the air, go into somebody else's ear canal, and cause the neural connections in their brain to understand the idea that you're trying to say. And while we can never be totally sure whether we're successful with that, we can be pretty darn sure because we can be like, well, they responded. <laughs> appropriately to what I said, so I was understood, and that's true of grammar. You know, sometimes I'll have moments where I'm like, you know, at the gym, and I、uh, have been working out, and my brain is a little bit slow because I've all the all the blood's rushing to my like arms or legs or whatever, and、I'll, somebody in in Chinese will speak to me, and I'll kind of have this. Uh, response that's a little bit too slow and inaccurate, and I'll think about it later. I'll be like,、oh, I said that totally wrong, but they still understood me, so it didn't really matter that I said it not perfectly grammatically correct, or or maybe with a slightly、um, incorrect pronunciation. It's actually, I would say, more important to have your pronunciation correct than it is to have your grammar correct in Chinese, because、uh, there's no、uh, declensions or、uh, word form changes in Chinese. So, like, if you just get the order wrong, a lot of Chinese people are smart enough to figure out, oh, okay, even though you should have said in a different order than you said, I can still figure out what you meant. But if your pronunciation's wrong, it's harder for them to understand. So,、um, the answer is yes. It will be. It will be.、Um, Sorry, the answer is that you、uh, are definitely right to relax and not have your goal be perfection because that will just slow you down actually, and and also make you feel kind of despondent and depressed because it's really hard to be perfect with all your pronunciation day to day. Good enough is good enough. All right, now 
there's a fella named Guillaume who asked, geez, about 10 questions this week. And they're all kind of following a similar type of, uh, I guess, they're all in a similar vein, which is like, I'm trying to imagine myself doing this method going into the future, and I can't imagine that I'm not going to run into a problem. So what am I going to run into? What problems am I going to run into? So he had a question about uh, how to avoid mistaking one prop for a different prop, how to avoid mistaking an actor for another actor. And some of these have definite answers, but they're all in the realm of, but what about later, right? And so... The ultimate answer to all of Guillaume's questions here is relax like Evelyn did and let yourself experience the course and go through and follow the instructions and you will find the answers to these questions. So like Guillaume, imagine that you, like Luke and I, made a huge course where you considered all of this and said, okay, over the first 105 characters, which by the way, Guillaume's questions are pretty much all in level one. So... 105 characters is through level 12. So imagine that we planned out everything that we were going to teach you about how to remember all the components, how to remember all the actors, how to remember, uh, you know, different ways of put, adding special effects to your scene to make it more memorable. And we peppered them throughout the first 105 characters. You can imagine if you're reading somebody asking all these questions in level one, you'd be like, hey, just, just keep going. Just keep going through the course and every question will be answered. But there is another question uh, or another way for you to um, scratch that itch of your curiosity of how you're going to deal with this by looking at the shared Google documents that are linked in the sidebar of the course. If you're looking at it on mobile, you'll have to scroll down to the bottom. But if you're looking at it on your computer, in the sidebar, we have phase one, phase two, phase three, and a bunch of linked Google documents that go into great detail, probably too much detail, into everything. How do you remember your actors? How do you remember your sets? How do you remember your props? How do you make movies? How do you come up with special effects? How do you remember all this stuff? And it will really satisfy the, these questions. Like a lot of these questions, I was like, oh, it's a shame that Guillaume hasn't read these documents because his questions are all answered in these documents. So uh, just before I get into the specifics of any of these questions, those two things are really important to understand. One, we planned out the course in such a way that your, your questions should all be answered by the end of level 12. So just keep going. And two, all uh, the majority of your questions are also answered in the documents in the sidebar. So if you find yourself, uh, anybody else in the course, if you find yourself wondering things like, how am I going to make the distinction between, you know, this component and this component? Or how is it that, you know, we make the distinction between these two actors? Or what about making a prop a person or an object? Almost all of these questions are answered in the documents, and they're definitely all answered in the first uh, 105 characters and the 330 videos associated with them. Like we put, we put all the educational content right at the beginning of the course so that later you can just fly right through it. But that said, though, let's look at some of Guillaume's questions and uh, talk about how we can come to uh, some conclusions about them. So his first question is on pick a prop for... Um, Gun, which is the single vertical line, or which we call Gandalf's staff. He says, how to avoid mistaking the 10 bowling pins for a prop and the Gandalf staff for the keyword? With more complex characters than the current one, I'm sure I will manage to make this mistake. No, don't be so sure about that. Because the, the interesting thing about this type of question is how what he's pointing out is that the 10 bowling pins are the 
meaning represent the meaning of the character shi, which means 10, and Gandalf's staff, staff represents the character component in the center. And he's saying, well, why won't I think Gandalf's staff is the uh, meaning of the character and the 10 bowling pins are a component? Well, because, and again, this is like, again, it's one of those things where it's like, if you just keep going even a little bit, you're going to find out the answer to this, is that you're going to have Anki cards for both every and all part of this. So we're going to, you're going to have an Anki card to represent the vertical line and you're going to know that that's Gandalf's staff. And then you're going to have an Anki card for the character Shi, which is going to come up with the keyword 10 and the pinion Shi right on top. And so 10 is going to be your trigger to answer the question. So if 10 is your trigger to answer the flashcard, then the thing you're going to associate it with is the 10 bowling pins. You're not going to associate it with Gandalf's staff because 10 it doesn't give you a trigger to Gandalf's staff. 10 gives you a trigger to the bowling pins. So now you're going to occasionally forget scenes because the scene wasn't good enough, but that just tells you that you need to rethink the scene or slightly adjust the scene in your head. There's a few testimonials where uh, some of our more advanced students talked about how when you forget something in a scene, as opposed to having to learn it completely from scratch, all you have to do is adjust your scene a little bit. You just uh, add something to it to make it more memorable. And all of those different techniques to do so are explaining the script triggers uh, document in the sidebar and the special effects document in the sidebar. So his next question was on the pick a prop for R, which uh, we suggest you could make them twins. And he says, if we take the Olsen twins as a prop, how to not confuse them with the actor within a complex character, right? So generally speaking, props are objects. So like a microphone or a camera or a computer, all the things that are right in front of me, so easy to remember. Um, uh, usually they're objects, but we said you can make a prop a person too. And so, Guillaume's basically saying, but what if I confuse the person that's a prop with an actor, which is a representation of the pinion initial? And it's like, it's so funny. I love that Guillaume's thinking this much about it. It's like, it's in a way, it's flattery that you're thinking this much about it. But again, to anybody who's gone through the course and to Luke and I and to anybody who's sort of seen the steps that, ought to, that will happen as you go through the course, it's actually... The answer is just, you won't make this confusion. This confusion won't happen because again, you're going to have a flashcard for the actor and you're going to have a flashcard for the scene. And when you're remembering the scene, you're going to like, you're not going to have too much confusion about what each element represents because especially the actor, because the actor, there's only 55 of them. So you're going to get used to them. You're going to get used to the different actors you use and you're going to be like, okay, I've already used say, Sean Connery 10 times already. So if Sean Connery's there, you're not going to think, is Sean Connery a prop? No, you're going to get that it's an actor because you've done it several times. So once again, the answer is just keep going and don't overthink. Because overthinking, it's a, it, fundamentally, it's a waste of your time. Because by wondering what things will be like in the future when you're doing the method, that's a lot of those things will never come to pass. Your concerns will never actually present themselves. And I mean, to some degree, I would say you can trust us that we thought this through. Like we thought through, is this going to be a problem? Well, if it was a problem, then we wouldn't have so many people who are enjoying the course and having success with the course. So there's the social proof. And then there's the fact that we've, you know, we planned this out quite meticulously and thought it out very thoroughly through each individual step to make sure that you're not too confused. I'm not going to promise that there are literally no points that aren't a little bit confusing, but again, it's not 
we're not trying to compare this to perfect. We're trying to compare it to every other method for learning Chinese characters that existed before us, which are mostly uh, terrible. So the um, the idea here is like, what if I confuse the Olsen twins with one of the other uh, actors in the character? The answer is that you're not going to get them confused because of the flashcards, because of the representation and relationship you're going to have with the actor set and props moving forward. So, you know, while I understand and, and actually sympathize deeply with the type of thinking that's going on here. Well, how will I do this? And how is this going to work in the future? That's exactly how I am. So I totally get it. But the real answer is you don't have to worry about it. All right. So uh, next, Guillaume on pick a prop for sure. Should we break into small pieces? See, this is a good question because people do get confused about this one sometimes. So A, should we break into small pieces each component like Phil did for sure? So sure is two components, a vertical line and a horizontal line, which we represent with Gandalf staff for the vertical line and a uh, razor blade for the horizontal line. He took a staff and a razor blade. Is it more flexible slash convenient to do so? The inconvenient is that we have to bind the staff and the razor blade with a story. So you always have to make a scene because you have to remember several elements of a Chinese character. Like irrespective of the Hanzi movie method and how it works for um, that side of things, you must always remember how to write a character, what does it mean, and how to pronounce it with the correct tone. Like these are just things you must know if you want to learn Chinese properly. So the need to know those different things is Chinese requires that. It's not Mandarin blueprint and the Hanzi movie method that requires that. Chinese requires that. You can't get a tone wrong or get a opinion pronunciation wrong or get a meaning wrong of a character. So what we're saying is the best way to remember all of those is to make a movie scene for every single character. And then you might say, well, that seems like a lot of work, but it's like, well, compared to what though? Uh, if you're going to learn the characters by writing them over and over, that means that you would have to write each character probably at least uh, like 300 times to remember it and never forget it. Like you write it a hundred times, you'll remember it for a little bit, but if you don't use it for a couple of weeks, you will forget it. So you got to write it like 300 times, 300, 300, um, 300 times times 3000 characters. I mean, like it gets to be outrageously boring and time consuming to do it through rote memorization. Whereas our brains are naturally amazing at remembering faces, at remembering actions and movements, at remembering uh, locations through 3D spatial imaging and core object rec recognition. So we're really good at all those things. So by mapping the individual aspects of the character to objects, people, places, and movements, we're effectively playing to our evolutionary strengths. So yes, you're always going to have to make a movie scene. And before you think like, well, that's going to be too much time. Remember that people who have gone further in the course, after they get the method down, they're able to do the whole thing in like 15 to 30 seconds per character. And then you just do the math out. If it's 15 30 to 30 seconds per character, say it takes you 100 characters to get that fast, 15 to 30 seconds per character, then... 2,900 characters at 15 to 30 seconds per character. Well, just imagine that versus writing it 300 times. You can't write a character 300 times and do that in 15 to 30 seconds. It's just not even close. So yeah, the first 100 characters or so, you got to get the feel for the method. But then after that, you're going to be so fast that it will absolutely make you a speed racer at learning Chinese. His next part of the question is, now in Pick a Prop for sure, Phil suggests us to use directly a Christian cross or a syringe as props. The advantage is that there is no need to make a story to produce the shirt. No, no, no. That's not, so there's a misconception here. It's not 
that you don't have to make a, a story. You made a scene for sure, which involved, uh, we shared it with you, it involved Gandalf throwing the razor blade, uh, or sorry, um, Sean Connery throwing the razor blade across the kitchen, going through Gandalf's staff, and going through the bowling pins, knocking them down. And that is the representation of Shu. And now what we're saying is that that entire character, not just the razor blade, not just Gandalf's staff, the entire character is going to become a component in later characters. For example, character number 10, which is Shun, Shema, which means what? And so that is the person component on the left, and then the entire character of Shu on the right. So what we're saying is instead of thinking of three props, the person prop, the razor blade, and Gandalf's staff, you can chunk Gandalf's staff and the razor blade together into a prop that represents the idea of 10. And so the idea of 10 could be a bowling pin. It could be, um, uh, uh, it could be 10, uh, any other association you have with 10. Or alternatively, and this is even easier, you make the prop related to how the character actually looks. So the character just looks like this, which is very similar to a Christian cross. So you could just imagine a Christian cross. Um, now, we recommend the idea of a syringe because, first of all, it's a great prop and it's good. It's very easy to make uh, lots of different fodder for that prop. But it's also, um, later, there's a character, uh, which means needle, and it happens to have the shi as the main character component in it. Now, again, this is all explained very in great detail in the props document and why we chunk props together, but essentially, it's this incredible skill that our brains have. We can take very complex information and combine it in such a way that is logical, and then we can remember, okay, this individual prop can represent many different strokes, and you'll still remember. It's actually quite amazing. Like, I have... Uh, my high school choir director, Dr. Giersch, represents uh, a character called Respect because he's my most respected uh, teacher from that time, which includes a flower component, the sentence component, and the taskmaster component, all three of those, which are uh, three, four, uh, so that's seven, one, two, three. Uh, so that's 10 strokes all in one character. And that's just Dr. Giersch in my mind. And the way I was able to do that is because I built up to that. And so it's actually quite easy to chunk those things together. And so uh, the best solution is what, uh, so Guillaume asks, what is the best solution? I think it's better to use a much, uh, as many complex objects as possible in order not to overload our memory with complex stories, but I may be wrong. What do you think? I mean, the, the solution is just to keep going with the course and all of these answers will be explained there. Uh, Guillaume's next question was about uh, actors. In order not to be confused with shu and shi, I think he meant to say shi because he wrote here shi, but that's not a pronunciation in Chinese, but I think he meant shi. Uh, how do we make that distinction? Can we pick it up from the actor's first name or last name? Yeah, you can pick either one. And again, you won't be confused by it because you're going to work with this actor many, many times. So like maybe the first time, it's a little bit confusing. Maybe the second time you're kind of still trying to get your head around it, but by the third or fourth time, you're going to completely memorize it. Like, I think that you're thinking you're going to be less smart than you are. Like just the fact that you're thinking about all this stuff now tells me you're smart enough to be able to recognize, okay, I've chosen Sean Connery to be my representation of SHI and you'll remember that. You don't need any extra special addition to be able to remember that. And then, okay, shu, well, how are you going to remember that versus shu? Well, 
all the ooh sounds, and again, this is explained in great detail in the actor's uh, shared Google Docs, but Shu is represented by a fictional character like Shrek. And you can look at Sean Connery and go, that's a real guy, and look at Shrek and go, that's not a real person, that's a fictional character, and that's a clear enough categorical distinction that you'll know, okay, fictional character has the ooh sound in it, females have the e sound in it, world leaders have the sound in it, and all the others are males. So it's actually quite simple. It's quite simple to make those distinctions. Uh, Guillaume on pick a prop for sure. Uh, I would take a knight sword for the component and an archery target with 10 colored rings for the keyword. Uh, that would be fine if you wanted to do that. It would be easy then to imagine someone like Sean Connery throwing the sword in a vertical way, like an axe, towards the target. Uh, this target could be held just above the head of a circus assistant, me, for instance. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, the only thing is I wouldn't see in that. Uh, that one doesn't seem to have the horizontal line represented anywhere. You need the horizontal line represented by the, for example, a razor blade. You could have the vertical line be a sword. That would be fine. Uh, and then the keyword ending up being something like the ten colored rings. That's fine, too. As long as the association is clear for each individual element. But again, these things will become clearer the more you do it. All right, so Guillaume asked some other questions, but they're all sort of in that same vein, so I'll leave it there for now. But, um, you know, I hope that, Guillaume, that you don't take these uh, sort of responses as being sort of uh, dismissive. I hope that you think that I'm giving them their due um, their due sort of respect and, and attention, but I do think that uh, ultimately almost all, of, actually pretty much all of your answers would be uh, concluded by reading those documents and by just continuing with the course, just experience the course. Many of the things that you're worried about will never come to pass. So that means all the time you're spending worrying about them are not, uh, it's just time that is essentially wasted because if it never comes to pass, then your worrying wasn't working towards anything. I promise you, if you just experience the course moving forward, your questions are going to be answered uh, bit by bit. And it's okay to be unclear at the beginning because you will be clear in the future. So, um, it's okay. Just be comfortable with the lack of clarity there. It's no, no big problem. All right. So let's move on to some updates about the course. Hey, the next five levels of the course have been released. Hooray. So we have uh, a, a bunch more characters now, about 400 more characters, uh, loads of different sentences. All have been checked through. Got the new Anki cards. Got the new um, uh, Anki cards for both the props, the uh, characters themselves, a couple of casting calls still to go. And we have, of course, the, um, the sentences. So remember sentences, uh, you can just get one per usage of the word and it just gives you a chance to put the word in some context. We're also working on the, uh, custom stories for each level. And when those come out, we'll make announcements about those as well. Awesome. All right, so that's the only major update this week, So, uh, and it's an important one. <laughs> Five more levels are out in the course, and that's awesome. All right, great. So let's move on to some full movie scenes uh, moving throughout the uh, course. The first one is Julian make a movie for Nian, which means year. She says her friend Nadia, Nadia is a female, so it represents the N-I, is celebrating the new year in Japan. So it must be... Uh, an apartment in Japan that Julie had. And so A-N in Japan represents the A-N in Nian. 
So we have Nadia and Japan representing the pronunciation. She's staying with 12 friends in a home, so she is getting ready for the night by getting dressed in the kitchen. The kitchen represents second tone, and there's even a reason why she's getting dressed in the kitchen, so that makes sense. She's going to wear her favorite pair of cowboy boots that she's had for 12 years. Cowboy boots represent most of this character from a component perspective. And she digs around in her suitcase with a stick to find her razor and continue getting ready. So the new year is the representation of the meaning. The Using the stick is one of the components and finding the razor blade is one of the components. And then the cowboy boots are one of the components. So all the components are there. The... Uh, the pronunciation is represented, and it's the meaning is represented. So everything's there. Great scene. And what you can always do is when you have a scene like this, it's pretty simple. So if, if it becomes forgetful for some reason, you can just add some special effects. So you can say, okay, let's add in uh, a close-up on her face as she's looking through her bag for the razor blade and using the stick. Feel the stick in her hands. Feel that tactile response. Feel her finding the razor blade with the stick. You can kind of sort of um, mnemonically visualize or, I guess, tactualize? Tactile? Uh, can you say that? <laughs> uh, just imagine that you're feeling the stick in the hand and that at the end of the stick it's feeling some metal down there in the uh, in the bag. That can totally work. And maybe even feel the cowboy boots on. That's kind of a, a way you could imagine things. Awesome. Ija on Make a Movie for Jin, which means to prohibit. Her actor is Jennifer Garner. So that's the J.I. representation. The, the set is the apartment I rented in uni. So that's the E.N. representation. Or in this, in, And whenever you have the in sound, the I, we drop the E and we go J.I.N. So instead of E.N., we have I.N. So, Jin, and then we're in the, it'll be the bathroom in all likelihood. And the props are Groot and a giant image projector. So, Groot represents the forest, and uh, the giant image projector is the bottom component. It's post-exam movie night, and the movie club has set up a giant image projector in the courtyard of my apartment for the screening of the Avengers Endgame. So, uh, she must have the courtyard being the backyard representing the fourth tone. Jennifer Garner was in charge of crowd control. <laughs> Members of the club just need to say Endgame to gain access. All right. As a member of the club, Groot 2 was invited, and he was excited to see his movie. He whispered the password into her ear. I am Groot. <laughs> Jennifer shook her head. I am Groot? Jennifer looked at him wryly. I am Groot! Nope. I am Groot! <laughs> Jennifer, tired of his name dropping, called security... <laughs> called security, and Groot was taken away. He's now prohibited from joining movie nights ever again. Well, geez, Groot, that's all he can say. That's a great scene, as usual, from Ija. All the uh, elements of the scene are present, and, of course, it takes into account that aspect of the character from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Avengers Endgame and all of that. That's all he says. Hodor. Ellery Hall on Make a Movie for Wong, which means towards... And so Ken Doll from Toy Story movies, my original prop instead of Jackie Chan. All right, cool, nice. Uh, with a toupee, so uh, instead of Bruce Lee. So, yeah, so he's going with a um, Ken Doll and Bruce Lee. It's helping Wonder Woman, his actor, representation of W, push Frankenstein's Igor. Uh, instead of Dominatrix, he is always saying, yes, master, right, because that's the right side component. Nice. Uh, he, so... It's helping Wonder Woman push Frankenstein's Igor towards the light. 
like he is having a near-death experience, right? So go towards the light as a clear enough representation of towards, and that's what Wang means. That's a great uh, keyword connection there that uh, Ellery did. So if we see that the keyword is towards, you want to come up with a connection towards, towards the light. And then that's a strong enough connection that all the other elements fitting into place ought to naturally write the story. And it's great. It's a, And of course, near-death experience is something that where we get the idea of uh, towards the light, because if people did uh, actually, if it wasn't near death, if it was full death, we'd never heard about it. So yeah. All right. Claudia Ruiz on make a movie for, which means noon. So I imagined Woody in the bathroom, in the bedroom of my childhood home. Correct. There's your uh, pronunciation taken care of. In the distance, you can hear the church bells ringing in the noon mass. Woody kneels by the bed and begins to pray whilst holding his crucifix. Unfortunately, he is very tired, having just finished playing with Andy, and he falls face down on his stomach on top of the crucifix, fast asleep. As the twelfth gong from the bells ring ring out, all we can hear are the snores coming from Woody. So this is a good scene, but there is one element to it that is, you know, potentially not ideal. So her representation of loser, which is the top component, is the actor Woody falling on top of the crucifix and falling asleep on it. Because we come up with that idea of the the component is kind of like the character for Zhen, the component for Zhen, but turned onto its stomach. And so we said, how about somebody who's lazy and kind of a loser because they're just lying on their stomach, right? And so she has the actor Woody do this, but... That is not actually a prop representation. Really, you should pick a person, not Woody, that is a loser or some other representation of lazy, maybe a sloth or a snail or something, and have that be the element of the scene that is sleeping on top of the crucifix just so that you can uh, have an actual prop and all the representations are there. Maybe Woody's trying to wake up the snail or the representation of loser so that he can get a little bit more involved in the scene, but... Otherwise, it's a great scene, and it's probably still going to be memorable, but it's just important to recognize when you're not strictly following the rules of the method. Nice. Julian, make a movie movie for E. Idina Menzel, she was my actor for YI as well, is coming in as the character of Elsa in Frozen and sees me sitting on my bed looking at a silver medal. Right, Silver medal because this character can mean second or B or second place. I'm not happy, but she reminds me to just let it go, let it go, and launches into the musical number. And as she performs, she shoots out a thin razor blade of ice from her wrist. And with the next gesture of her arm, a hook of ice then rises from the ground. So that's a representation of the hook and the razor blade uh, props here. We have that uh, the song in it as well. And so these are both great uh, options from, from Julie to represent the idea of... Uh, the the character E. So we have Adina Menzel, we have the two props, and of course we got the song from Frozen, which is very memorable, and the silver medal is the representation of the meaning. Perfect. Julian, make a movie for T, which means a uh, to beg or a beggar. My loser ex-boyfriend, so that's the top component, and we talked about that two characters ago, is laying on my bed begging for me to take him back for a second time. And this, of course, second time is a representation of the bottom component. Um, Chelsea lately is watching this whole thing take place and totally roasts him. So that'll be the character component, uh, or sorry, not the character component, the uh, actor representing representing T. And we're in the bedroom, so that's the third tone. 
This is an easy one to remember, she says. So perfect. So yeah, you got every element of the story. Um, the take him back for a second time is a little bit abstract for the bottom component, but all things considered, I think this is going to be a very memorable scene uh, moving forward. So that's great. All right, awesome. So we'll end the podcast today with some prop suggestions. We have five prop suggestions, and uh, then we'll uh, leave it until next week. So the first prop suggestion comes from River Nixon on pick a prop for a gun, which is uh, it, we have a number of different suggestions here, but one of them is a blunt object like a sledgehammer, and she says Peter Gabriel because he um, is, of course, the singer of the song Sledgehammer. I love that song. I always sing it at KTV, and it played nonstop on MTV for I don't know how many years. Exactly. So that's a simple link. You know, Peter Gabriel sang the song Sledgehammer. Uh, gun means um, blunt object. A sledgehammer is a blunt, blunt object. Easy enough. And so I was just always imagined Peter Gabriel as a uh, singing sledgehammer. You know, interesting, like, personal note on that. When I heard that song, Sledgehammer, I heard it well before I ever saw the music video. And I heard it loads of times. And it's just the music video is nothing like I imagined it would be when I heard that song. Because it's like, I just imagined him being a lot cooler. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of a nerd in that music video, and I just, it was kind of a funny thing to see. River Nixon on pick a prop for wax seal, or like the, it's the middle prop in the character Ball. And she says, I think it's kind of difficult to put a wax seal in my movies, so I'm going to use an Arctic seal, the animal. Sure. And that's another, it's a simple English homophone link. I mean, sure. An Arctic seal is not the same seal as a wax seal, but that's the simple type of connection that our brains are easily capable of making. River Nixon on pick a prop for Yuan, which means uh, original or beginning. It's also the character they use to represent uh, uh, money, like Yuan is in R&B. River Nixon says, for my prop, I will use a gigantic copy of the Velvet Underground self-titled record, uh, the Velvet Underground self-titled record released in 1969. I wore the groves. Uh, I wore the grooves off mine. I actually owned it on cassette first, but you get the picture. And on that record is a song called "I'm Beginning to See the Light." Knocks my socks off every time I hear it. So that's great personal connection to an individual song on a record that she listened to so much that it's probably burned into her memory. Excellent. I'm beginning to see the light. That's her representation. Is now that particular gigantic copy of the Velvet Underground self-titled record. I love it. Matus on Pick a Prop for Yuin. Uh, this is the character for Cloud. He says, I picked the cloud from the Pixar short animated film, Partly Cloudy. Easy to visualize as happy or sad to fit the scene of the movie I'm making. Yes, I completely agree. You can just imagine a regular cloud or you can imagine something that's far more animated. And that's something that is it adds a lot of spice to the scenes. It adds a lot of uh, ease of coming up with scripts. So excellent. And then the final prop suggestion was from Julian Laffey on pick a prop for Joe in the intermediate course. Uh, reminds me of the U.S.-Mexico border wall because it means state, but it also looks like a um, you know vertical beams and the parts made of vertical beams in the middle. And so it is actually a border towards the states. And also, it sort of looks like the wall itself. So there you go. Perfect. A border wall for Joe. Uh, and uh, we'll leave it there for this week. Thanks for listening to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. And my name is Phil Crimmins. We'll see you next week.